Hey guys, it's Kelsey, and I'm here to give you the heads up that when Kim and I recorded this episode, we had no idea we'd have so much to say. And it's good stuff, so I didn't want to cut too much out. So here's what we're going to do. Today, you'll be listening to part one, which will cover chapters one through four, and later this week, we'll release part two, which will be chapters five through seven, and the songs for our playlist. This way, you can still listen to all of what should have been in episode one this week, but in more than one sitting. Thanks, y'all. Hope you enjoy. Hello. Hello. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Kim. Welcome back to the Massive Fans Book Club Podcast. We have missed you the past two weeks and hope you enjoyed our bonus episode while we were off for Memorial Day and preparing to come back with our next book. We hope you are well recovered from the first book and congratulate you as you are officially a survivor of mass destruction. Not sure what mass destruction is? In this case, you read book one. You know that Feyre fought the free Tamlin and the entire Spring Court, and ultimately all of Prithian from Queen Amarantha's control. Feyre beat three trials, killed, and brought back to life. Talk about a roller coaster ride for your emotions. So, congratulations on surviving. And today we are diving into the first seven chapters of A Court of Mist and Fury, published in 2017 and written by Sarah J. Mass. But first, we'd quickly like to thank you for being with us up to this point. We started this podcast out of a love for these books and just wanted to share that with others. And to see real humans of the world are actually downloading and listening each week is just amazing. So thank you. Second, as a reminder, this podcast is more or less PG-13, so little ears are not advised. Honestly, if you thought the first book was violent and had some eye-widening sexual descriptions, I don't even know what to tell you about this one other than you've been warned. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, please ensure your seatbelts are buckled and you have secured your loose items and remember to keep your arms and legs tucked inside the vehicle at all times because this shit's about to get wild. If you thought the last book was a roller coaster, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Nope. Not at all. (laughs) All right. So this book has a prologue. (laughs) First line, y'all. Maybe I'd always been broken and dark inside. Uh, Remember our girl, Farah? Remember when we thought she was broken before and somehow we just, you know, all stayed one more night under the mountain for fucking funsies and then returned home hoping we'd all find a good therapist? Well, clearly that hasn't happened therapist yeah i mean we were all hoping that maybe these people would like go to therapy and like work through their trauma but um no instead we're just broken and dark on the inside (laughs) true though i have to say i've never ever ever in all my descriptions seen anything about a therapist in any of the positions or jobs yeah apparently we don't have those here and that seems to be a real problem But anyway, for a few pages, we are back under the mountain. Ash arrows are presented to Feyre on pillows. She kills the young Fae again. She kills the female Fae again. I was the butcher of innocence and the savior of a land, Feyre tells us. Then she describes Amarantha. Murderer, butcher, monster, liar, deceiver, 
and adds, I didn't know who I meant. The lines between me and the queen had long since blurred. Now she's before her third victim again. Yeah, she's doing great. And she's before her third victim again. And she's got a third ash dagger. But this time, when the third hood comes off, I knew the face that stared up at me. And she describes the woman before her. My hands didn't tremble as I angled the dagger, as I gripped the fine bone shoulder and gazed into the face I hated, my face, and plunged the ash dagger into my awaiting heart. Yeah, so I wasn't lying. Bitches having issues. Also, this is a nightmare in case you haven't guessed. (laughs) Horrible. Just horrible. Yeah. Yeah, she literally pictures herself as the third victim that she um, offed while under the mountain. And, uh, you know, that's our prologue, so we just roll right into chapter one. Chapter one. I vomited into the toilet, hugging the cool sides, trying to contain the sound of my retching. Well, welcome to chapter one and part one, The House of Beasts. With a title like that, this should be an epic part of the book, and hold on to your hats, friends, because this wild ride starts now. So Favor's puking. <laughs> and Tamlin's sleeping. And hey, can I just say really quick, the first time I read that, I had to wonder if she was pregnant. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, kind of fair. But nope, nope, we're just, uh, we're just puking because we're, um, not handling our nightmares so good. We're, we're having night terrors. Like, nightmares is like an understatement. We are having night terrors. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so she's puking, Tam's sleeping, and apparently this is more or less the nightly ritual at this point since they returned from under the mountain about three months ago. Right, which is why I just, like I said, the first time I read that, I was like, is she pregnant? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I hate to say that, but that is kind of one of the things I thought of. I mean, I really Thank like God, they were no. night terrors, but Oh my God. <laughs> Thank God, no, because that's the last thing that this section of chapters needs. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> so once the fear of puking more passes and like, girl, as somebody who has puked like multiple times a day while pregnant, I feel that fear. You're like, I'm not leaving the bathroom. <laughs> so once the fear of puking passes, she pulls away, but doesn't go too far. Cause like I said, she ain't stupid. And she leans against the wall and looks out the window at the night sky, trying to calm herself down. Just throwing that out there. And the so she's, she's doing the whole grounding thing. She's got her hands on the floor and she's like repeating in her mind, this was real. I had survived. I'd made it out. And like, while we're trying to chill out on the bathroom floor, Farrah's internal monologue tells us a little about the immortal strength that she's been trying to come to terms with. So even right now, she's got her nails basically puncturing the skin on her palms because she's holding them so tight. And that's apparently nothing compared to the five glass doors and the 800-year-old vase that she already busted up since returning to the manor house. Oops. Uh, she's basically like a gawky teenager at this point, apparently, who, like, doesn't know their own strength. It's kind of like the beginning of the Hercules movie, like, from Disney. (laughs) Where he just, like, keeps busting shit up. (laughs) 
Yeah, so that's going well. And uh, she looks at the tattoo on her arm and reminds us of the eye on her palm, noting something similar to what she once told us before, that the eye seems to change and the pupil is now wider than it was earlier in the day as if it's adjusting to the light. I scowled at it, she tells us, at whoever might be watching through the tattoo. We readers are informed that though three months have passed, there has been no sign of Reese summoning Farrah to the night court per their bargain. And Farrah explains, but even if Reese had miraculously forgotten, I never could, nor could Tamlin, Lucian, or anyone else, not with this tattoo. Even if Reese at the end, even if he hadn't exactly been an enemy. So, interesting. Very. <laughs> and like, friends, what you're going to notice about the first few chapters of this is favorite does a lot of like mind, like wandering. So like, it's kind of like an info, like basically I think it's because we're trying to get like a lot of info dumped into these first several chapters. But like, yeah. Her train of thought just like choo-choos in the other direction, just like completely hit random sometimes. <laughs> it does. It really does. She and it's yeah. Ooh. It's like a lot to take in. <laughs> so she like choo-choos her train of thought somewhere else. And we get this weird tidbit of info where she's like. <laughs> So few went over the borders of the night court and lived to tell. Like, and I guess this comes from Tamlin. Like, I guess she's like thinking about the bargain and thinking about how like she should at some point be getting taken to the night court. But like, what a weird, like random piece of information. So few went over the borders and lived to tell about it. Like, what? (laughs) Makes you wonder, doesn't it? And it's weird because she's explaining that even if Reese isn't really her enemy, he's certainly Tamlin's enemy, though I feel (laughs) kind of confused because I feel like we explained in the first book that like half of what he did even to Tamlin was like specifically to get Tamlin riled up against Amarantha. And like the rest of it was all just kind of like Tamlin had his feelings, but Reese was like, whatever, dude. So, like, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's a weird thing that we're, like, back on this, like, Reese and Tamlin are at odds. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like Reese used Tamlin for what he needed Tamlin for. Now he's over it. He's, like, done. Moving on. Yeah, so the idea that they're, like, you know, mortal enemies seems kind of weird to me. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, I don't, I don't think Reese sees it that way. I think it's all, like, in Tamlin's head. It's the only way I can explain it. Yeah, like, like, it all feels like it's made up. Yeah, you know, it's like, I don't like him, so I'm gonna make him the bad guy, and I'm just like, dude, you're an adult, act like it. (laughs) You're more than an adult, you're like 500 years old, but I digress. (laughs) You know what I mean, though. You're an adult, act it. Exactly. So, Feyre keeps going on and on about this, and, like, clearly she's having some, like, guilt or feelings or something about all this, because then, after she, like, kind of tells us, like, nobody ever goes over there and lives to tell about it, and also he's Tamlin's enemy, she's also like, but I hadn't felt like Rhysand's enemy the last time I'd spoken to him, in the hours after Amarantha's defeat. I told no one about the meeting, what he'd said to me, what I'd confessed to him. 
Be glad of your human heart, Farah. Pity those who don't feel anything at all. So like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Just do with that what you will. Be confused like the rest of us, I guess. <laughs> Pretty much. So she musters up the strength to get up off the bathroom floor and basically thinking about that quote that he said, it's like wishing she indeed felt nothing. And she goes back to bed where <laughs> Tamlin is still asleep. And like, anyway, Kim and I have feelings about this. <laughs> My whole thought is, is he really? I mean, is he really? Right, right. Like, how, okay, okay. So like you got special fey hearing and you don't hear her puke in her guts? Bullshit. I mean, I like, called. admittedly, like, I, like, okay, like, if I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, like, while pregnant, I, I was, I personally was throwing up three and four times at practically every day for about 14 weeks because I was lucky like that. <laughs> and I mean, there were times where, yeah, like, my husband did not bother to get up because what was one more person in the bathroom really going to do me at this point? You know, I've been doing this for, you know, 14 weeks. <laughs> and so, you know, it is what it is. But at least when I would come back to bed, he'd be like, do you need anything? Are you okay? Like, he was awake. He was just trying not to, like, be in my bubble. Also, because I didn't like people in my bubble while he puked, and he accepted that, you know? But it's not like he didn't come to check on me if I'd been in there for a few minutes. You know what I mean? Right. That's why I call bullshit. Yeah, so I'm like, dude, my husband didn't have to have special fay hearing to figure this one out. <laughs> like, Jesus. Uh, but anyway, uh, she says, for him, I had done this. For him, I'd gladly wrecked myself and my immortal soul. And now I had an eternity to live with it. And I'm just sad for her. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just sad for her. He feels that way, and he has, it's like he doesn't even acknowledge it. Right. Well, and I feel like she's having some, (laughs) my notes actually say, instead of saying, I feel like she has some regrets, I have, I think she feels some regrets. (laughs) You know, like that, that no regrets tattoo that you've seen. Uh, Yeah. I feel like maybe yes. she's having some regrets <laughs> because I feel like this doesn't sound like someone who is really all that sure that given, like, if she had to go back and make these choices again, I don't know that she would. For him. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So this is awkward. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I hate to be on the Tamlin's kind of a dick train because, like, I know that Feyre loves him and all, but my dude really, like, did not do much to help her under the mountain, and, like, now he's sleeping through her meltdowns, and, like, I just want him to be better for her because she loves him so much, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, he's he's a tool. He's a douche canoe, man. Yeah. Anyway, so... <laughs> she... Dude, you're a douche. Yeah. She gives him the benefit of the doubt, saying she knows he suffers from nightmares too, and like sometimes he shapeshifts over it and like spends the rest of the night at the foot of the bed watching the door like a guard dog, which is just weird. Like it's just a weird image. <laughs> it's just a weird image, and I'm sorry. <laughs> like there's no, there's no PTSD at all there. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, I know I'm supposed to be like, oh, he's also traumatized, but I'm sorry. The image of him just, like, sleeping at the end of the bed like a dog cracks me up. It makes 
makes me giggle. I'm with you. I was like, I don't think that's what I'm supposed to get from this. I'm supposed to be like, poor Tamlin, but I'm sorry, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad that he feels so traumatized that that's how he is reacting, but at the same time. Yes, yes I agree with you. Douche. Yes, it's like you can be both. <laughs> yes. You can be traumatized and also like not handling it well. And I mean, in fairness, I must say that Fair was not handling it well. Like, I mean, Fair was, I don't know. Fair was not handling it great either. Like I said, they could all use some therapy. <laughs> they could all use some serious therapy. But, you know, here we are. So wrapping up this quick chapter, Feyre breaks our hearts because, you know, I mean, that's how we all want to start a book, right? <laughs> it was easier okay. to not have to explain anyway. To not have to tell him that though I'd freed him, saved his people, and all of Prithian from Amarantha, I'd broken myself apart. And I didn't think even eternity would be long enough to fix me. Well, like, damn! <laughs> that sucks. Okay. Well, that was chapter one, and now we're all sad and shit. <laughs> so, chapter two. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know what to do. Chapter two literally starts off as bad as it sounds. These are like the first words, okay? I want to go. No. Okay, because Farrah is basically arguing with Tamlin as he readies his horse to go out, saying that she's been left behind every time he leaves for the last three months, and like nothing is even happening. So she wants to go to the village a few miles away, but Tamlin insists with another no, and as a Sagittarius myself, I know this is not sitting right with my girl because you cannot cage a Sagittarius and here he is trying. <laughs> yeah. So then, because like I said, our minds just choo-choo in the other direction, Feyre describes Tamlin in case we forgot what he looks like and does a kinder job than she ever did in first in the first book okay because like remember how in the first book she was just kind of like yeah he's okay looking I guess and then wouldn't shut up about recess. <laughs> most beautiful man in the world. Mm. <laughs> yeah this time she tries to do a little better she says his face ruggedly handsome exactly as I dreamed it during those long months he'd worn a mask. So yeah, like, even though he's on her nerves, at least she still thinks he's pretty. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, so back to the point. Uh, she wants to join Tam and Lucian, and Tamlin is adamant that it's, like, too dangerous and that they're still hunting down Amarantha's beasts, whatever that means, and he spews some crap about not having enough sentries to spare to escort her, which is a total cop-out because, like, he let her roam freely with Naga and the Surreal and everything else while she was a human. No, and she freaking killed the Naga. And she's stronger now as a fucking Fae, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. He's such a tool. Yeah. So her internal monologue shows us her engagement ring, which like admittedly does sound beautiful. Apparently it's a square cut emerald on a gold band and I'm a fan. And <laughs> she I informs us. I'm here. Exactly. And she informs us that they've been engaged for about two months, which I think we expected. Mm -hmm. And good for them. But it doesn't make Tamlin any less annoying in this moment. 
No, it's almost like he went 180 degrees in the other direction as soon as he got a ring on her finger. Yeah, and you know, I gotta give credit, I read a blog about this, like, section of chapters at one point, and somebody was like, like, who is this? This is not Tamlin. <laughs> and I just have a bad feeling the answer is like, yes, it is, we just didn't see it. Well, not only that, he was doing what he could so he could become free from Amaranth and the curse. Well, right. Fair point. I guess we all do things when we're, like, desperate. Exactly. <sighs> but, anyway. Feyre's internal monologue goes on for a couple of pages at this point, basically all talking about the boring things that she's had to do since returning to the manor and getting engaged. Basically, Feyre is not one for choosing table settings or flower arrangements, and as someone who's playing their own wedding, I feel her. <laughs> A bunch of uh, stuff. I, right? Like a bunch of stuff I thought I'd enjoy doing was really just a big headache. Yeah. 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 It was hard. Yeah. And like I think if I had to do it all over again, I would just let someone else do it. <laughs> I really didn't have that option. Yeah. I, I don't know. I well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I thought that was again just like another weird Sagittarius thing. <laughs> No. I was like, I think we don't like planning things for ourselves. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm a Gemini, and I was just like, yeah, whatever. There's part of it that I did enjoy. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I enjoyed quite a bit about it. But at the same time, I was freaked out, stressed out. I mean, I was trying so hard not to be a bridezilla. Yeah. Because, like, I was one of the last of my friends to get married and I didn't want to be a bridezilla I was already having you know I was already having the kind of wedding that I mean it wasn't there was no way I was wearing meringue so to speak but <laughs> I definitely I mean we had a themed wedding and you know it was Celtic Renaissance and so I mean all the guys were in kilts so I mean that that right there should tell you you know, you were I mean, like, was, I'm already asking a lot. <laughs> I am, you know, like I told my, like I got to the point with my bridesmaids where I was like, look, I found these two colors of skirts because we ended up making most of their outfits because they had to have garb. Right. And um, luckily most of my bridesmaids do run fair and we're perfectly happy to go purchase a bodice. And I was like, I don't care what bodice it is. It just has to be black. So I was like, okay, here, you need a black bodice. That's all I'm saying. I don't care who made it. I don't care. The fabric, none of that mattered to me. And then when it came to the skirts, I was like, all right, I found a really pretty blue and I found a really pretty purple pick. They could have all been blue. They could have all been purple. As it was, they all went half and half, which is fine. Again, I wouldn't have cared if they had all gone one color or one person had chosen one color and everyone else. It didn't matter. I was like, just pick a color. That's, that's kind of like me. I had two colors and all of my bridesmaids picked one color and I was like, that's fine. And then I picked two styles and they went half and half. I was like, wow, I picked the perfect bridesmaids. <laughs> I tried to make it fun. I, for me, it, I wanted it to be fun. I wanted to be a party for, for Mike and I and our right. friends. Like, right. to me, it was about, let's have some fun. Let's just celebrate. I want, I, I want to have a party, like, have a drink, listen to music, kick back and talk. Like, I didn't want things to be 
too formalized. I think that for me is what it was. Is I, I want people to be able to relax and enjoy themselves and to the festiveness. So, I mean, I get where Favor is coming from. Like, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want it to be fun. Yeah, I feel like Favor would like your wedding. I feel like Favor would like that. And that is not where this going. This is going. Like, I, basically, point is, is right now she freaking hates wedding planning. And she hates going to events with Tamlin, particularly, apparently, the winter solstice, where she says... It was bad enough that I'd been required to stand before the gathered courtiers and lesser fairies while Tamlin made his many toasts and salutes. Mentioning that my birthday had also fallen on the longest night of the year was a fact I'd conveniently forgotten to tell anyone. Like, homegirl didn't even want her birthday out there because she's so tired of parties and bullshit. <laughs> exactly. She was like, the last thing I want is more attention. <laughs> Oy. so yeah she's with you she's like no no dance floor like screw this like <laughs> let's go get married under a tree okay but like that's not where this is did. yeah well she probably would be into your wedding but she's not into her own and, and, and that becomes apparent in the next like two chapters boy does it <laughs> Oh, but if this isn't bad enough, I mean, even with all the irritation with wedding planning, it's like, I never sounded like this. She's like, no, only two weeks stood between me and the ceremony. If I didn't get out of the manor, I didn't have a day to do something other than spend Tamlin's money and be groveled to. Like, she is dejected and just tired of this whole bullshit. And I'm like, I didn't ever feel like this. But then again, like, maybe that's because my husband wasn't rich, so I didn't have these problems. But anyway, Favor gets out of her head and goes back to arguing with Tamlin about wanting to go along, and he's all, you can't, it's dangerous, and she's all, but the wards are up, and Tamlin's all, some slipped in before the wards were repaired. Lucian hunted down five Naga yesterday. And again, we've done this Naga thing before as mm. a human. There were four then, there's five now. And I just don't understand why this is supposed to be the end of the world. <laughs> like, I don't know why this is the end of the world. And I guess it's fine. No one asked me. No one asked either of us, because I'm with you. At hearing the news, Feyre turns to Lucian, who winces because he had lied to her about how he got injured the day before. Bad Oop. move, dude. Bad move. <laughs> He's not always the brightest. I love him, but God, he's not always the brightest. It's true. Well, Tamlin feeds Feyre some line about how he can't do what he needs to do if he's worrying about her safety, and she promises to be safe, and then he says, please, please just do this for me, which is a gaslighting line if I ever heard one. Exactly. As if I wasn't annoyed already, he suggests that she passed the time doing some things around the house or painting. Like you said, like she's supposed to be sitting there eating bonbons all day. Well, and she said at the end of the last book, she didn't know she'd ever be able to paint again. Yeah, well, because of everything that happened. <laughs> I know, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, this poor girl is so traumatized. She's like, I, I, you know, at the end of the last book, she's like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to paint again. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Tamlin tells her he loves her and then heads up to where Lucian was waiting and Lucian is frowning it, and I'm assuming it's because he's annoyed with his friend like you and I are. <laughs> I would hope so. And the boys leave. 
Feyre bitches internally a little more, pointing out that she hates the stupid bright colored dresses she's been wearing for three months now, but she says she wears them to make Tamlin happy. And I just can't even at this point. Like, I just can't, and I feel like you can hear it in my voice that I just cannot even put up with the bullshit that is chapter two, so we're just gonna keep trucking along, because I can't. <laughs> Apparently, and this is where the stupid in the spring court starts to rival like modern American on the social media platforms levels of stupid. Apparently, <laughs> she can't wear pants or have any weapons or do anything because it might send the wrong message to the village people who just want peace and comfort. Do not get me started. No, we're going to go back. We're going to be regressive. You have to wear skirts and dresses and sit around and do nothing. And, and you're going to keep house. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, it makes me want to throw shit and hurt people. Yes, <laughs> me too. If only people could see my face. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hope people could hear how annoyed I am and how, like, we are skipping huge chunks at this point because chapter two is so long and infuriating. It could have been in a few breaks and just, like, had smaller chapters, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, Tamlin allows her one weapon, the dagger Lucian had gifted her the month before going under the mountain, which she carries on her person in a jeweled belt, also from Lucian, who gifted it to her upon the return from under the mountain. At this point, I stand by my original statement from, like, episode two about why does a favor just date Lucian? Um, hello? Why couldn't she just date Lucian and save me the headache? <laughs> well. Moving right along because this chapter is long. Moving right along because this chapter is long. We are introduced to Ianthe, the High Priestess and Tamlin's childhood friend. Feyre is thankful that she's come around because she likes the wedding planning girly shit that Feyre doesn't like. And <laughs> is basically the only friend Feyre has at the manor house at this point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she apparently does everything with Feyre and Tamlin. She's like basically supposed to be Feyre's Lucian. <laughs> she's like the fourth wheel of this party, so to say. <laughs> yeah, but I find it interesting because Lucian doesn't really like her. Oh, yeah, we get to that. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But basically, Feyre is just generally glad to have her around because, like, even <laughs> she even helps Tamlin, like, pick out the shitty clothes that Feyre wears. You know, like the big pink gauzy skirt that she's wearing now. Whatever. Wrapping this section up, Feyre storms back into the manor house icky skirt bunched in her hand and muttering to herself, next time I'd convince Tamlin to let me go to the village. And all I can say is after all of this, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having some doubts that that's gonna work out. But wait, there's more. And by that, I mean a little snowy flaky thingy that tells us that there's a scene change, but this is not the end of the chapter. <laughs> 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 so Ianthe, who I just told you exists, uh, is now playing wedding planner and literally says, oh, we can't let her sit next to him. And so that I say, oi. <laughs> Pretty much. 
Feyre's internal monologue tells us a little about what Ianthe looks like. And basically, let's go with blonde because this book hates brunettes. Uh, with the moon stages tattooed on her forehead, which I'd be all about if she wasn't so judgy about Feyre's tattoo situation. And uh, she, yeah. like, what the fuck? And she wears a veil that she pulls over her face when she prays, but sometimes she takes the veil off. It's like a whole thing. And she wears some sort of like billowy robe dress thing belted tight around her waist. I don't know. Honestly, I don't care. And maybe it's because I'm way more into Feyre's outfits that she wears later. <laughs> Yeah, Kim will cover those outfits in her chapters, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yes. And I like them way more than this description of whatever the hell Andy's wearing. Anyway, uh, Andy pulls Farah from her thoughts with a weird statement because that's what we do. <laughs> it's like a game. All these pieces vying for power or dominance, willing to shed blood if need be. It must be a strange adjustment for you. I mean, like, sure, except humans are just as bad and also, like, a certain dark high lord who we know likes to play games and somehow we made him out to be the devil, but now we're finding out that just everybody's doing it. Yeah. So, again, weird, but I digress. Farah ponders over what Auntie has just said, you know, the whole these people like to play games bullshit, and she's flexing her fingers, thinking about her new strength, and then she says internally something else weird. <laughs> she now says, now I could fight alongside them, against them. Not that I tried. I, I was too watched, too monitored, and judged. There's just, like, a lot to unpack there. Like, the fact that she feels, like, so, quote, monitored and judged is just, like, so awful. And I hate this for her. But then also she's like, I could fight them. <laughs> and I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> I mean, you could. <laughs> but why? What's your, why? What? 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 She's angry. Yeah. So I don't know. Ianthe, like, I don't Yes, I understand. That's why you're pointing out that Ianthe doesn't do anything without thinking ahead. Let's be real. She's the one playing games right now, but I digress. Oh, boy, is she. Anyways, we move on to talk about humans because, again, you know, squirrel. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ianthe asks if her family will be coming to the wedding, and Feyre says no, and then she mentions her sister Nesta saying for all that she, she'd hold her own, my sister Nesta detests your kind. And Ianthe corrects her, our kind. Which, like, Jesus, Ianthe, can you give it a rest? She's still getting used to this, and you're being ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> yeah, can you tell that, like, we are two chapters in, and I'm literally, like, so freaking sick of everybody? <laughs> but Ianthe explains why she's so persistent with the BS. Every word from your mouth, every turn of phrase will be judged and possibly used against you. Be on your guard, lady. <laughs> and Feyre is like me. She's like, I don't know what the hell else you said, but that whole lady thing has got to go. She's like, lady, a nonsense name. No one knew what to call me. I wasn't born high fey. I'd been made. Just tuck that last part in your brain, friends. It'll come back. Oh, yep. it'll come back. <laughs> so many times. 
if this long painful chapter ever ends, it'll come back. And I must point out at this point, it it's not Sarah J. Mass's fault. No. It's just that I am bored of Ianthe talking and tired of Tamlin. Basically, I'm feeling what Farrah's feeling, and it's a lot, and I'm tired. <laughs> it doesn't help that you're pregnant. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not helping. <laughs> it's also allergy season, friends. I mean, yeah, it doesn't take much to piss me off at 33 weeks pregnant during allergy season. And let's just well, put it this way. If I got to put my angry somewhere, right now it's Tamlin. <laughs> hey. So I'm I'm going to break in real quick because, you know, Kelsey knows this. So at this point in the, the, the fandom, if most people who've got, by the time they get to this chapter, by the end of this chapter, there's a nickname out there for Tamlin and the nickname is Tamlin the Tool because he really is a tool. He's just such a dickhead to, to everybody. I mean, he's, he's nasty to Lucian. He's nasty. He's nasty to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's a tool. He's a douche canoe. And so I, my problem is now is I read this and I'm just like, God. Ugh. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't. Tape. I'm going to duct tape him up somewhere. I don't recommend reading this book like 33 weeks pregnant, friends. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I did. So Tara <laughs> goes on internally as per usual. But this is important. I wasn't Tamlin's mate, as far as I knew. There was no mating bond between us yet. Honestly, honestly, Ianthe, with her bright gold hair, those teal eyes, elegant features, and supple body looked more like Tamlin's mate, his equal. A union with Tamlin, a high lord, and a high priestess could send a clear message of strength to any possible threats of our land. Like, how wild, guys? I'm just saying. <laughs> Like, she's planting seeds here. Like, not that Ianthe is his mate or anything, at least not that I know of, but that she isn't his mate, and she can see him with other people. <laughs> and I just think this is wild. <laughs> but she's the one getting married to him. Well, right, and it reminds me of that whole, like, Cal and I thing. Like, remember we talked about this at the time where we were like, so... <laughs> If he gets married, like, does he still have to go off and fuck a rando once a year? Or, exactly. <laughs> like, is this going to have to be an open relationship? Because at this point, like, in theory, he's got to go off and meet with other people. And she seems like she understands that. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I don't know about us. <laughs> like, <laughs> go be with other pretty people. I don't, I mean, I think it's just supposed to read as like she's having doubts in herself and uh, yada, yada, mm -hmm. yada. But to me, I'm like, dude, this relationship sounds doomed. No, I, I actually agree. Because it's like, she, she goes from, I love you and, and everything I'm doing is for him. And by literally in the middle of the second chapter of this, you're like ready to throw shit at him because he's being an ass. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, and you're like, oh my God, she's gone 180 degrees from where she was at the end of the last book. Well, it's truthfully, really truthfully, by this point, I'm ready to start throwing things at anybody because Feyre won't shut up. We go back to talking about Ianthe again. Basically just saying that like before she came, she imagined what a high priestess would be like. And then Ianthe showed up and she was nothing like she imagined. Okay, but now picture taking two pages to say that. And there's yeah. So <laughs> we learned that there's well, 
okay, in defense, we have to do some world building because now we are in a whole different part of of the story because they're not under the curse from Amarantha. And I mostly agree with you. And to not give anything away, I don't want to say too much. We learned that Ianthe uh, is the world's worst wedding planner and has picked out a hideous dress for Feyre. A dress so bad, guys, that Tamlin laughed at her in it when yep. he saw it. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about it. Ooh, but Don't you worry. guys, Tamlin doesn't let Feyre push back on it. He sides with Ianthe why okay i just i can't i can't can't <sighs> his thought and anthony's statement are <laughs> that this butt ugly dress <clears throat> makes the right statement whatever in the flying fuck that means like what is this statement welcome friends and neighbors this is your new lady of the spring court she's ugly as sin today like <laughs> not really that, but i mean you know, it's her fucking wedding. It's not Ianthe's. <laughs> like, she should wear what she wants. She should be comfortable. It, I, yeah, I don't know. I just can't imagine, like, what is the message? What, what would the message to the village people possibly be that requires an ugliest sin dress? What, that Feyre has no taste? Like, what would the message be? <sighs> Moving on, Ianthe says another stupid thing, which is really just an info dump. She says, together the three of us make a formidable unit. Four if you count Lucian. Not that he particularly wants anything to do with me. This line is like out of nowhere, but it's really just to let Feyre's internal monologue tell us that Ianthe likes to bring up Lucian and essentially flirt with Lucian, and Lucian doesn't want any of it. And Vera <laughs> tries to play it off like he's just too broken up about his last relationship. But she says to us readers that she thinks it's because he's irritated that she didn't endure under the mountain. She and her family had escaped elsewhere. And she says, I did not think Lucian forgave her or would ever forgive her for fleeing during Amarantha's reign. Sometimes I honestly wondered if my friend might rip her throat out. First of all, <laughs> oh, her friend. <laughs> I repeat, why can't this book just be about Lucian? <laughs> Second, um, that's a lot of anger, and I trust my man Lucian, so I don't think I like Ianthe either. <laughs> exactly. That's all I have to say on the topic. But to make things more awkward, Ianthe says, are you at least excited for the wedding? And Farah is unamused and says, <clears throat> it'll be the happiest day of my life. At least I assume that's how she says it based on all the crap around what she says, because methinks she does not even believe this herself, though she internally notes that she did think that when he proposed to her. Yes. Which to me implies she don't think that now. <laughs> well, I think, cause I mean, we know enough about Farrah to know. She's not, she's not a 
300 wedding guests, fancy schmancy party girl. Well, right. And I think that's what this is. And so she's miserable because it's not anything that she would ever want. Well, she also didn't sign up for a husband that leaves her locked up in the house for two months. So, well, I mean, that too. what do I know? <sighs> Anthony, because she won't leave, makes fear. <laughs> Makes Feyre feel worse by eyeballing her tattoo and saying that they can fix that by giving her elbow-length gloves, which I'm sure will really help this hideous dress situation. Yep. I'm just saying I'm getting, like, beginning of the movie Enchanted vibes from this ugly outfit. Like, please tell me you remember her falling through the manhole and, like, the dress barely fits through and she's looking like a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm getting from this. But anyway, <laughs> we get another snowflake because, dear God, this chapter. Tamlin comes to bed to find Feyre there but not asleep. She tells him she couldn't sleep you know, because of her anxiety and all of this nightmare bullshit, but she doesn't tell him this. <laughs> Instead of dealing with our feelings, a la book one, she just watches him change. <laughs> like, his clothes. Um, and while he's getting changed, she decides to throw back the bed sheets to reveal she's naked. <laughs> and they have sex, which is fine. And honestly, it sounds pretty hot, but she says something in her internal monologue that doesn't sit right with me and kind of ruins it. <laughs> she says, <laughs> okay, and like I said, this is why it's not for little ears because it starts off sexy and then takes a bad turn. She says, <laughs> I was clawing at his back before I hooked my legs around him and he settled between them. This, I needed this. Okay, and it just, like, reminds me of, like, back when they were in, like, that back hallway in the last book, and it just feels like they have sex as a distraction, and that is not great. <laughs> no, but she makes a comment about the fact that they're communicating the only way they really know how, which is skin to skin. Pretty much. Okay. Oh. Yeah, so they keep going, and she tells us, for a moment, I was nothing no one. And like that for me confirms that this isn't about like love. This isn't about them like having the hots for each other. This isn't like, ooh, like today was a good day. Ooh, that wine at dinner was delicious. Like, no, this is like some bullshit, like numbing behavior. Yeah. So that's why like it was written well and it was supposed to be hot, but I was not into it. But anyways, um, they finish up, and she apologizes for earlier in the day, which I think is bullshit, because he should be apologizing to her. But instead, he says, <sighs> he says, <laughs> and also he like, it gets a stutter, which I think is weird. I think he's supposed to be emotional, but it just read funny to me. <laughs> you are... You're everything to me. I need you. I need you to be all right, to know that they can't get to you, can't hurt you anymore, which I guess is like kind of sweet, but like, mm, I don't know. She says that she knows, but then she asks, and I, I think it's because she does want to know this, 
but what about you? Who gets to keep you safe? And like, I think it's a fair statement because I think what she's trying to do here, like I said, they both win the award for like worst communicator. Uh, I think what she's trying to do here is basically be his equal. Like, okay, 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 fine. If I'm supposed to believe that like, you're trying to protect me, well, then like that's bullshit because you won't let me protect you. Exactly. It's, it, this is not a partnership. It's a dictatorship. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but he's not getting that. Well, <laughs> Instead, no, but, and she doesn't even get it either. And here's the thing is like she, so she has her own trauma and then he's like adding to it. It's like, it's like, this is like classic. This is like a textbook for domestic violence. Well, yeah, well, it, yeah, it gets there, and it gets there. Um, spoilers. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I don't even mean it, like, unless it's like, I mean, you know, domestically abused women are, you know, there's so many different ways, and this is classic textbook. Oh, yeah, you know, this is some, like, emotional gaslighting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's gaslighting her, which sets it up for everything else to come, but it, yeah, oh. well, yeah, because then he says, soon you'll be my wife, and it'll be fine. We'll leave all this behind us. And, like, unless you fucking move to Prithian, like, move away from Prithian, I don't see how this is possible. <laughs> exactly. So, like I said, he's just, like, gaslighting her here, but whatever. I, I want to point out that I am aware we are being hard on him, but, see, I see it like this. Everyone on the planet decided to give Reese a hard time in book one, and I wanted to cut him some slack, and now people are giving Tamlin the benefit of the doubt, so I guess I'll be a hard ass, because the world needs balance, people. Well, I don't, well, I mean, this is like, like I said earlier, this is 180 degrees from where he was. It bothers me. It really bothers me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it bothered Feyre a little too, I guess, because it's, <laughs> they're still chit-chatting. And she asks what she'll be called when they're married, because she's like a little like stressed out about being a high lady. But then Tamlin shoots that down, announcing <laughs> between distracting kisses and all that bullshit, by the way, mm. um, that there is no such thing as a high lady, which I think makes zero sense based on what we know about the hierarchy of this world but mm -hmm. whatever we'll come back to that mm -hmm. so she's like but lucian's mother and he points out that she's just called lady of the autumn court not high lady and he says that she'll be the same and she kind of tries to like get into this more because like don't we all want a better explanation <laughs> Yeah. But Tamlin doesn't care because in case I forgot to mention, she's asking all these questions while his face is inching closer and closer to between her legs. So he's clearly not trying to talk. So no. um, then when she's try to, trying to get more info and she's like, so Lucian, he cuts her off and says, I don't want to hear another male's name on your lips right now. And shuts her up in a way that given the information I just shared, would shut a person up. <laughs> should anyway since it's good yeah and uh this chapter finally ends and i'm just not less annoyed than i was when it started so that was chapter two. Ooh, woosah <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you yeah. like you can tell like I think I just cursed more during chapter 2 than I did like all like seven episodes prior to this. Quite possibly. <laughs> because I'm so agitated. But like we promise it has a purpose. So <laughs> buckle in because we're about to go warp speed through this chapter because it's just another info dump. <laughs> But this time from our favorite friends, Lucian. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Lucian takes Farah out on a ride to inspect the progress of a nearby village. Farah is pretty thrilled because she hasn't left the grounds in a month. <laughs> For the millionth time, yeah. WTF. <laughs> I don't blame her, man. I'd be like, dude, I don't care where we're going. Right, but she hasn't left the grounds for a month. Come on. This this is this is bad. Anyway. So along for the ride is not one, not two, but four centuries because overkill. Yeah. <laughs> so Farah gives Lucian a hard time about the lie he told about the Naga the other day. And in true Lucian fashion, like finally we have like a minute where I'm like, oh, the memories of the first book. <laughs> Lucian says, I didn't lie. I technically did fall off my horse after one of them tackled me off her <laughs> which yeah i think is adorable yeah. right yeah he, he didn't lie <laughs> he but didn't tell the whole truth yeah but she insists on more she's like why why and he just gives her this like pity look and <laughs> i think it's because he, don't, he can't and doesn't want to say anything, but I think he does sort of feel bad about how things are going, um, and he's just not going to say it. And so, I like, agree. they start off on their ride, and Feyre says, I don't want your damn pity. And she goes on to explain that she's, like, not made of glass, like, people can tell her stuff, and he explains that Tamlin is my high lord. He gives an order, I follow it. And she's like, you didn't used to do that. <laughs> Meaning, like, before, right, like, before the curse was broken, he was doing all sorts of shit she should have been doing. Yeah. Yeah, he was doing all sorts of stuff he shouldn't be doing, like, telling her how to catch a cereal. I mean, that was not, uh, sanctioned information. No, no, that wasn't. <laughs> but he claims that that was only because it was basically, like, desperate times call for desperate measures. Mm -hmm. And sounding a lot like Ianthe right now, he says, I was desperate then. We all were. But now, now we need order, Farah. We need rules and rankings and order if we're going to stand a chance of rebuilding. So what he says goes, I am the first one the others look to. I set the example. Don't ask me to risk the stability of this court by pushing back. Not right now. He's giving you as much free reign as he can. Which I call bullshit on. Absolutely, I do too. In book one, we literally talked in one of our episodes about a quote when Tamlin says, I don't enforce rank in my court. That's right. So were we lying then or are we lying now? Like, something, something don't match up. Well, back then, I don't think he could enforce rank. Fair, but like, see, this, this is what we mean, where it's like, he know. is not the same person that he was back then. He really isn't. He's come 180 degrees in the other direction. Yeah. Well, 
Then Lucian goes on with some more BS. Like, I love this man, but he's been drinking the Kool-Aid, apparently. You have no idea how hard it is for him to even let you off the estate grounds. He's under more pressure than you realize. And Farrah fires back, thank God, or I'd have to put the book down, and says, I know exactly how much pressure he endures, and I didn't realize I'd become a prisoner. Yeah, and then Lucian tries to backpedal, but I think even he realizes there's no hope for that at this point. (laughs) They talk a little more on this matter, and Lucian says how Tamlin's just terrified of losing her, and her, you know, she points out, like, if that's the case, like, even so, she can't stay locked up forever in the manor, and Lucian, who I guess just drank stupid juice before this conversation, basically (laughs) says the line from the Swan Princess, isn't that what all human women wish for? A handsome fairy lord to wed and shower them with riches for the rest of their lives? Like, this is basically that point from the Swan Princess when the prince is like, you're beautiful. And Odette's like, what else? And he says, what else is there? And there's a guy, (laughs) old dude in the background who's like, "Eh, wrong answer. (laughs) Like, I feel like Lucian's like, isn't that what human women want? And I'm like, eh, wrong answer. (laughs) Exactly. And then, like I said, because this man drank stupid juice, but also it's like, it's not all his fault. It's partially an info dump. Like, I understand that this is world building. I understand that Sarah J. Maas does like a, like we've discussed before, like a Tolkien level of world building. There's just a ton of information here. But on the other hand, I, I, I'm just shocked how stupid Lucian is in this moment. <laughs> like, oh, I just yeah. cannot believe we're having these conversations right now. But we are. We are. And uh, now we learn about the tithe and, like, I could go into an explanation of the tax structure of the Spring Court, but I won't. You are free to read about it like the rest of us had to. (laughs) (laughs) Point is, it's a la Old Kingdoms. People are going to pay their taxes by bringing goodies to Tamlin, and Farrah has to watch, and Lucian's going to tally up all the loot. And it's as annoying as it sounds. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird, like, Robin Hood thing. Yeah, it's weird and archaic, and, but, you know, we all got to pay taxes, yo, for roads and schools. Anyway... <laughs> I don't know. Here we pay for roads and schools. I don't know what they're paying for there. I guess centuries. These four freaking centuries following Pharaoh around, but whatever. Moving on. Yeah, I mean, it's not like like they're living in the modern age with electricity and anything else going on. Yeah, so I don't don't know what we're doing, but back to the point, Pharaoh says, I can't stay cooped up in the house forever. And Lucian says, he knows that. He doesn't say it, but he knows it. Trust me, you will forgive him if his family's own slaughter keeps him from being so liberal with your safety. He's lost those he cares of too many times. We all have. Like as if Feyre didn't sacrifice her life and her family and ever seeing her family again for them. Last book. She fucking died for them. Yeah. 
but Tamlin's the one making sacrifices. Yeah, like I said, it's like Lucian drank the stupid Kool-Aid right before this. I know. I'm sorry. <sighs> See, this whole thing pisses me off, too. <laughs> it really, really does. <sighs> okay, so Farah, who, like I said, is giving me like serious second thought vibes, says, I don't want to marry a High Lord. I just wanted to marry him. And Lucian points out that you don't get Tamlin without the High Lord part, which is fair. <laughs> that is fair. That's <laughs> totally fair. And he asks her to like talk to him, to really talk to him, and basically to not put him in the middle. <laughs> And even though I'm annoyed with him, I do understand that. Like, it's fair. I mean, he basically says he just doesn't want to have to choose because he under, like, it's kind of a, like, it's a catch-22. He understand. he feels, he understands the pain that Tamlin went through when she died, having lost the female that he loved. So he says, there was no magic spell, no miracle to bring her back. There were no gathered high lords to resurrect her. I watched and she died. And I will never forget that moment when I heard her heart stop beating. Yeah. Tamlin got what I didn't. We all heard your neck break, but you got to come back. And I doubt that he will ever forget that sound either. And like, this is the moment when you're like, okay, part of the problem is that Lucian also needs therapy. <laughs> Yeah, they all do. <laughs> like, Lucian, it's not that Lucian doesn't see that Tamlin's kind of being a dick. He does see that. He just feels for the guy because when he, like, I think this is the thing. I think when Lucian watched Feyre die, Lucian even remembered what that felt like. This is probably the closest that Lucian ever had to relive the situation he'd already been in with that woman he loved. You know what I mean? Like, Lucian mm -hmm. basically had to watch now his best friend's girl get offed, just like he watched his girl get offed, and it was just, like, too much for him. So he feels for Tamlin, and he doesn't want to ever see Tamlin go through that, and he's glad for Tamlin that he doesn't have to go through that, but anyway, point is, is Lucian's a little heartbroken, too. <laughs> but... Oh, no. I don't know. I just, I think it's kind of twofold. We know he doesn't want to see Tamlin or Feyre hurting, but this just like, this, this just like going with the Ianthi bullshit is not the answer, you know? I know. Uh, so, like, that was a lot, and uh, we're moving on for time's sake. So, they clear the woods, come upon the village, and everyone stops and oohs and ahs over Feyre, making her feel awkward. <laughs> Someone even murmurs the words, Feyre Cursebreaker. That's what they're calling her now. And she feels more awkward. And Lucian hops off his horse and he explains that they're here to help and they're at the village's disposal for the day. And the villagers keep saying that Feyre has already paid her debt, which is nice, but not the point. And they don't need her help. And thanks anyway. Bye-bye. It's awkward, Feyre is disappointed, and they head home. <laughs> it is so weird. On their way back, Feyre asks, did he let you take me today so that I'd stop asking to help rebuild? And he says, no, I decided to take you myself for that exact reason. They don't want or need your help. Your presence is a distraction and a reminder of what they went through. 
Which is harsh. <laughs> Awful. Yeah. The fact that they see her that way is just wrong. Okay, but the thing is, is like, I don't know that they do see her that way. Like, I don't, I think this is some projecting. I like, agree. I think that they think they're doing a nice thing. I think they're like, oh no, like, you know, like you already did so much. You saved us. Like, no worries. Like, literally, we owe you our lives. I don't know how to talk to you. So, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think they're like, no, you, you remind us of our fate. Like, what the hell? That'd be such a weird thing to think. No, I agree. But. Yeah, anyway, my notes are like, <laughs> dude, that's not her fault. <laughs> Absolutely not her fault. She did what she could to save them. It, it, to be, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, feel like she's being made a pariah. Yeah, it's weird. Lucian does explain that, like, maybe some of the villagers feel the way he just explained, because, like, even though they weren't kept under the mountain, like the high fay, the villagers were actually sent to camps, like work camps, you know, like, you know. Nazi concentration camps. camps. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, some of them might be upset, but she, like, my point is, is, it's not like she sent them there. She's the reason they got out. So the exactly. idea that seeing the person who saved you makes you sad seems bad like to me. But anyway, finally finding his heart and realizing what he said was kind of crappy. Uh, <laughs> she said he he says I know you wanted to help I'm sorry and we read what her response is and she just says so was I the vastness of my now unending existence yawned open before me I let it swallow me whole like she's literally out of things to live for guys <laughs> Like, in yeah. this moment, she ran out of things to live for. Exactly. Hoy. It's disturbing. And on that heavy note, uh, Kim, take it away for chapter four. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Chapter four. I've affectionately called this chapter. It doesn't have a title. None of her chapters do. It's chapter number whatever but I've affectionately called this chapter wedding time because guess what kids it's here we made it yay time to have a pate so we're doing wedding stuff now um like in the throes of it um it literally opens up with people beginning to arrive it's only a few days before the wedding so more and more people are coming in from all over the spring court lands and Favor's doing the polite. She hates it. She is quite literally being run around from party to party to party so she can meet the court. Yep. She would pretty much rather stab herself in the eyeball. <laughs> and I feel that. I do. I do too. And part of her problem is that the people have either just stared at her or they only can talk to her about hunting. Which is ironic because Farrah hates hunting now. She won't hunt unless she absolutely has to. And even then, she only hunted because she had to. Because if she didn't hunt, they didn't eat. Well, right. She, Which that go, I she feel said like that we before. talked about. So I find it really interesting that that's all these people want to talk to her about. 
and she's so miserable. She's gotten to the point now where she's just so miserable. She's given up, like completely given up, and she lets Ianthe dress her pretty much for everything. And she's even gotten to the point now where she's like, she's she's even tried to stop making decisions. So she's like, I don't even want Ianthe to leave after I after the, the wedding. Right. Like, can I right. be super here? Which is really kind of disturbing. Oh, she's got depression real bad. Oh, God. And then some. And then some. And uh, one thing that comes up, and I wanted to point this out, because I found it really interesting. You know, it's, you know, people are coming in and she's doing the rounds and the whole bit. And she starts talking about the fact of that conversation she had with Tamlin about what her title will be after she's married. And she's like, I'm kind of grateful that I'm not going to ever be a high lady that I will never be equal to Tamlin in responsibility and power. But a small, forgotten part of me roared and screamed at that. Yeah, I think that there's some... I I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to say anything because I know far more about, you know, I've read the whole series, I know what's going on, so I don't want to say anything, but yeah and it just kind of makes me want to go hmm. yeah i was gonna say if there's anybody who has read ahead even just a couple of chapters um it, i know where kim's going with this which is like there's a theory about what this um internal screaming is but i do think it could be interpreted either way and i don't know that even like sarah j mass would tell us which way she meant it <laughs> I, I, and i agree with that i'm just saying there there are multiple possibilities here yes um in fact her depression is quite literally so bad. She's like, and, and going from party to party, she's like, I weathered it. Clinging to Ianthe when Tamlin wasn't at my side, or if they were together, letting the two of them lead conversations while I counted down the hours until everyone would leave. Big oof. I'm like, dude, they're that clueless? Like, I don't know. I mean, somebody's that unengaged, I would pick up on it. So yeah. It, I struggle with the fact that Tamlin's like just that, huh? <laughs> I, I'm like, God, dude, you have issues. That's all I gotta say. Dude yeah, he, has some issues. He's dense. Which honestly, like I said, some of that is like he's dealing with stuff too. But some of it is also like I think. Remember how you and I kept being like, he's a bad communicator. He's the world's worst communicator. All of book one. It's like maybe mm. we were giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's not even about communication. Maybe it's about the fact that he's also like completely non-observant. So how can you communicate when you have no idea what's going on? Very true. Very true. Anyway, I, I digress. Anyway. <laughs> so they're at this, it's the night before the wedding and they're at this party. Feyre's like basically trying to hide in the corner, trying to figure out how the hell to get out of there without being seen. And she's hanging out with Ianthe in the corner. And these two sentries come up to Ianthe. And they've been eyeing Ianthe all night. Apparently, Ianthe does not lack for male attention. And these two sentries come up. And, and you know, Ianthe introduces them to Feyre. And they're both like, oh, yeah, we were under the mountain with you. And their names are Braun and Hart, and they are actually important to know the names because they do come back um, later in this book and then the next book. So just bear in mind those two names, they end up becoming 
tertiary characters, but tertiary characters that do come back. I think it's the easiest way to describe it. Anyway, so, but Bronn just starts gushing and gushing about, because they were under the mountain with her, about the whole thing yes. with the Midgard worm, and I mean, he's fangirling for all intents and purposes, and Feyre's like ready to crawl out of her skin. Which, you know, in fairness, like, in fairness to the people in the village who, like, quote-unquote, don't want her help and, like, what Bronn's doing right now, I don't think anybody means anything by it. No. He, I, I know he's not doing it to be mean. It's just, he's like, yeah, I was the coolest thing in the world, da 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 and, and she's like, oh, yeah, this was great. I, I was fighting for my life. Like, you're talking about, like, it's a sporting event, and I'm literally, like, when I was doing this, if I did, if I made the wrong turn, I was gonna die. Like, yeah yeah sensitivity there on on both ends it's it's certainly not he does not know how to read her yeah at all. look at our high lord i mean can we expect more from the centuries than we do the high lord i'm just saying no <laughs> no you're right drinking the stupid juice i know well and then Heart references her lovely tattoo. Yeah. Bad move. On so many yeah. levels, dude. Bad move. And my auntie's response is the high priest the high priestesses are taking care of it. We will not allow our savior to be treated so ill. Um squeeze me. First of all, I think this is the first time. Well, and, and Fair admits, this is the first time she's ever even heard this. Um, but secondly, and, and much more disturbingly, our savior, I mean, dear God. Yeah. What's going on here? Hero worship much? Yeah. And I, um, I also wondered if part of it, because like the, the thing it says is I schooled my face into neutrality. Like, I also wonder if she's a little irritated because like while they're talking about it, they're talking about it like she's not even there. And exactly. they're like, <laughs> he's probably running scared now that Tamlin's got his powers back. And she had said, then you don't know recent very well. And like, I, I yeah, like I think she like realized she should have kept her mouth shut, but I think she's just kind of like, you people have no idea what you're talking about. Right, they're talking. They're talking like they know Resand better than she does, and I'm thinking, actually, they probably really don't. Well, <laughs> Especially right. these two centuries don't. Right, and like I said in one of my chapters, I think she's got like a little bit of guilt going on about this, where it's like she knows that everybody's like all <gasps> her tattoo, <gasps> the bargain, but she's a little like <gasps> he's really not that bad though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just so like I, yeah. awkward. <laughs> I just, I find it interesting that she's, she's all, hmm, you don't know me sand very well. I was like, you go, girl. You go. Well, and uh, in a way, it's also like, you don't know, it's kind of like, I think she's irritated in general. You don't know him. You don't know me. You don't know what happened. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through talking to you in this moment. Like, exactly. <laughs> this is painful, too. <laughs> No, I agree. No, I totally agree. So, um, Pharaoh finally finds a reason to get out. She's like, I'm done. I'm out. Peace. And so she goes to escape. And as she goes, 
I noticed something. So she leaves, but just as she's leaving, she's looking for Tamlin because she, she wants to make sure he actually doesn't see her trying to escape. And she tells Ianthe to give him, you know, her regards that she'll see him tomorrow. And I, I highlighted this because I found it was really interesting. She finds Tamlin and his head is tipped back and laughing. Tamlin tipped it has his head back and laughed, the others howling with him. And the last line of this little section then says, alone in my bedroom, I realized I couldn't remember the last time I had truly laughed. Right. Dude, depression, big time. Like, this is like super red flag. And I'm just like, oh my God, people, like nobody's picked up on this. And as, as, as Kelsey will tell you, we're going to get one of those little, well, in my book, it's a little cross, not a snowflake, but. It, I think mine are actually crosses too. Remember when I said mine changed from snowflakes to something else in the last book? Yeah. I think mine are crosses now too, but I liked when they were snowflakes. So I'm sticking with that. You stick with your snowflakes. I've got crosses. And poor Farah. Farah's having a nightmare. <laughs> Again. Farah's having a nightmare about her second trial. She she wakes up and she she's so upset that she literally was like I would have cried for my mother. Who would never earn who would never cared for me anyway. And I'm like, oh, damn, like she's waking up from a nightmare and she was ready to cry for her mother who never even gave like a crap about her. Like, oh my god, that's horrible. This poor girl. And so she wakes up and she's trying to breathe and calm down, and. I find it really funny because once she realizes where she is and that she's safe and she's grounding herself out, she goes over to the window and she goes and she looks out and what is she looking out at? But the night sky. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like I said that in chapter one. Like we're doing it's a, a thing here. Theme. Have you noticed though? Mm-hmm. It's a recurring theme. Anyway, she looks out at the night sky to calm down. And then it's like wedding time. Like time, time is just jumping here. And we're 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 talking about the wed the wedding. And you know she's she's thinking about it as she's staring at the night sky. She's like, all right, only in a few more hours. I go. I'm. She, she's like, I'm not only the savior. I'm also the jester, which I find kind of mildly disturbing that she sees herself as that as well. well. Look at the people she's around. I true, <laughs> true, true. All right, so we get another cross, little suction breaky. It starts off, and Farah's like, "I hate my gown. <laughs> I hate it." Apparently, it's totally. If you know what I mean when I say this, apparently it's a total piece of meringue. It is big and puffy and fluffy and totally not. Thera. She calls it, and I quote, it was a monstrosity of tulle and chiffon and gossamer. That, that, that's yeah. wow. And, and she's like, I might have dealt with it all if it weren't for the puffy cap sleeves. So big, I could almost see them glinting from the periphery of my vision. I gotta tell you, I had, so you talked about Ella coming out of the manhole. Oh, yeah, the Enchanted, yeah. In Enchanted. I, there's that. But I also had, like, this weird 
flashback to Princess Diana's wedding dress, which, yes, it, it was a beautiful dress the whole bit. Don't get me wrong, Princess Diana, but holy shit, her, her sleeves were like... Yes. Yes. Huge. It was a meringue yes. dress. Granted, because of where she got married, it makes sense that it was a meringue dress, but it was meringue. And it was meringue from hell, and it was like puffy sleeves from hell. And I mean, these sleeves were huge, man. They were bigger than her and another head put together. It, they were ginormous. Uh, you know, another good dress that I think we could we could relate it to is the um, the 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 ball gown from um, Labyrinth. Yes, I said. I did. I not. Okay. Can can we talk about how did I not say that earlier in recordings um honest to god i'm gonna cut that out but uh I'm, I'm pretty sure i kept it in because i feel like i was like oh that ugly dress it comes back later <laughs> and this is when i meant it pretty much yeah i just mm, yeah so anyway and, and while she's getting dressed and, and preparing she acknowledges that both Tamlin and Alice laughed at her dress. Yep. Um, the dress was totally picked out by Ianthe, and she now has elbow-length gloves that were delivered personally by Ianthe this morning to hide her tattoo. I'm like, oh my god, this is like, this, this goes from bad to worse. Yep. On so many levels. And poor Pharaoh, she's like, alright, fine. She's moving on. And Alice has her there. They're in the, the hallway out going by the gardens. And she's getting ready to step out for the wedding. And Alice does tell her she looks absolutely beautiful. Which is very sweet of Alice, even though she knows Alice doesn't like the dress. For Alice to tell right. Feyre she looks beautiful, it's a sweet moment. Because, I mean, Feyre doesn't have anyone else there to, to kind of be with her and for her. Right, right. And so I found it very sweet. It's kind of a very sweet mother-daughter kind of type moment almost. And then they open up the doors to the big garden. Well, Vera what I steps love out. is real quick before they open the doors is when Alice says, you know, she, you look beautiful. And she's like, thank you. And she's like, you sound like you're going to your funeral. <laughs> I know. Because, <laughs> you know, Vera's been jumping up and down at the bit for this wedding now for quite a while. I'm just saying, oi, so yeah, like, you're going to get a funeral, and then they open the doors, like, oi! There <laughs> you go. And I highlighted what happens next. Everyone was watching, exactly as they had when I nearly died. Spectators to my torment. Dude! That's screwed. I'm sorry. Again, oi. Now, she does step down and her eyes go straight to Tamlin and she literally almost can't walk because her breath is taken away because as she says he is truly resplendent in his you know in his outfit just completely takes her breath away which actually for a bride is about what it should be when she sees her groom I, I would hope that you kind of have those feelings I know I did when I got married um I can't speak to anyone else but whew wow like okay i feel like we're in a normal place with a wedding at least and yeah, so for a minute for a minute and she starts <laughs> she starts walking down the the center aisle and there are all these white rose petals and she sees them and she's walking and all of a sudden she sees red rose petals um it 
gives her pause and she she actually starts to stumble a little uh -huh. um because, because our wedding planner had one job one job one color she said not to have anywhere in the wedding red what color is there red and these red rose petals especially closer to the dais they're clustered in such a way that it's it, it reminds her of the pool of blood from the two fairies that she killed under the mountain yeah and she basically comes to a complete and total stop she is freaking out she's having all these horrible thoughts she's like you know people are judging her like they did then and they know that she's not honorable enough because of everything she did i mean it's just it's it's completely horrible and she literally stops walking at the splatter of red and she says tamlin extended a broad hand brows narrowing slightly my heart beat so fast too fast i was going to vomit right over those rose petals right over the grass and ribbons trailing into the aisle from the chairs flanking it which wow Ooh, that's not a good sign for a bride yeah wanting to puke halfway down the aisle is probably not a good sign i think she's like three quarters of the way down the aisle and just stopped and at that point yeah but also to freeze when he's even outreached his hand like it's one thing if you just freeze and he sticks his hand out and you're like oh okay i'm good you know but no for him to free like for her to freeze and he stuck his hand out and it's not even like occurring to her to like move forward yeah houston we have a problem but not only that the fact that she can't basically i mean yes she sees him doing this but she really can't tear her eyes away from this these red rose petals nobody's looking at what she's looking at well at the very least wouldn't you think this is the point where your wedding planner would realize they made a big boo-boo yeah something someone anyone tamlin since you know he's marrying her and we thought maybe he'd understand her trauma but again i guess we didn't get enough therapy or i don't know maybe lucian i mean you know he's her friend yeah but you know but she says after this and this really i this is such a cool little bit and i have to i have to point it out and between my skin and bones something thrummed and pounded rising and pushing lashing through my blood she has completely stopped she is freaking out and then she's feeling this weird thing in her body which is basically for all intents and purposes telling her don't do anything don't yeah. go anywhere don't move stay put she's i mean she's warm she's freaking out she's completely she's having a full-on panic attack at this point basically even if it's only in her head she's freaking out and panicking and she starts crying out in her head you know help help me anybody somebody help me i can't do this no well, and that's what she says. She says in her head, she's like begging Lucian to like stand up. And she sees that he's looking at her, but he's not doing anything. And she's begging Ianthe and she's just standing there like she's been standing there. She's like, save me, please save me. Get me out. End this. Yeah. Nothing. Tan steps towards her. He's concerned is in his eyes. His hand is still out she retreats a step back 
Yeah. And in her head says, no. Tamlin's mouth tightens, the crowd murmurs, the whole bit. Ianthe's trying to come bride and, you know, the whole bit. And she was like, you know, let, let good triumphant last is what Ianthe says. And, and Faber's internal monologue is good. I was not good. I was nothing. And my soul, my eternal soul was damned. Ugh. I tried to get my traitorous lungs to draw air so I could voice the word no, no. I didn't have to say it because thunder cracks behind her and darkness starts to seep out. People are freaking out. They're screaming. They're climbing all over. <laughs> Farrah quite literally turns around and this is what it says. I found Rhysand straightening the lapels of his black jacket. Hello, Farrah darling, he purred. That's the end of the chapter. <laughs> I feel like this is a good time for me to stop um, pretending I don't have a Reese in my head and just uh, share because Kim knows I kept my mouth shut for an entire book. <laughs> I'll let you picture your own Reese and uh, Kim knows this is a hill I'm about to die on. <laughs> I'm kind of there with you, so it's okay. There is only one actor I can think of that it would even remotely pull off showing up in the middle of a wedding, wearing a suit, standing inches from the bride with a hello, Farah darling, and the rest of us being like, what? <laughs> um, and that is Tom Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know who Tom Ellis is, I'm sorry. <laughs> because Me too. you're missing out. <laughs> you are. You are. He is beautiful. But even more than that, he just, it's the voice. And I kept saying that over and over again yes. in the first book. Yes. It's the voice. I can hear his, he has, very, he has a very distinctive accent because he, he okay. is an English actor, but um, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a slightly Americanized English accent somehow. <laughs> he, he spent a little bit too much time in Hollywood. Yeah. And so with that said, it's a very subtle English accent. It is not, you know, overbearing at all, which I would appreciate for a character like this because he's not supposed to be English. He's just <laughs> a high fae. <laughs> and so... I just can hear his voice with the, you know, hello, fair darling in my head. And I just can't keep that to myself anymore. Because if you know, you know. And if you've seen the show Lucifer on Netflix, there you go. You know. Specifically the last, like, two seasons of Lucifer. Like, not even early Lucifer. No, I'm talking once Netflix took over Lucifer. Because... The show was not a Netflix original to begin with and became one, yeah. and that's a whole different story. But once yeah. Netflix took over, it's like, we let the man um, stop being so pale. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know his deal. I don't know, like, his, you know, his family's ethnic background. Um, but the man tans very, very well. And he's, like, mm -hmm. six foot and very dark and very, I, I get very, like, Mediterranean features personally when I look at him. Mm -hmm. um, so my point being, 
if you watch the last two seasons of Lucifer, you will know what I'm talking about. And um, yeah, so uh, feel free to picture that for chapter five. Uh, Kim, carry on. <laughs> Woo, I'm sitting here feeling myself because I'm with her. Tom, Tom Ellis is magnificent. And if it weren't him, I'm not sure who else. The closest as far as acting chops that I can think of, and, and that's, I'm just saying in acting chops, I'm not talking about in looks, because Tom Ellis really does look the part, um, but as far as acting chops go, the closest I can think of might be uh, Tom Hiddleston, because he does have, yes, he's, he yes. does, have does kind of have that, that it's the physicality, it's the way, and, and you know what it yeah. is, and honestly, the two of them have similar physicality, um, they do, they're both like, six feet tall, um, more or less classically trained actors. Uh, yes. I think that's what it is. I think that, cause yes, uh, yes. Tom Hiddleston does not look the part for me. Uh, too pasty. <laughs> Makeup could do a lot, but again, I'm not, I, I, but you know, but yes, seeing what but, he's but done physicality. and the physicality he's brought to Loki and the, the sarcasm and the snark he's brought to Loki. Yes. Um, I, I can see Tom Hiddleston acting Resand. Now, I'm smart enough to know that there's no way in Hell's Green Planet here that um, they'd be able to afford him, but you know. Well, and you and I are on, again, friends, this is a sidebar, totally different conversation for a bonus episode, but we're also aware that we just named two actors who are probably older than what they're trying to cast. Um, sure. But Kim and I are of the belief that if you cast this show too young, um, it's not going to be believable. I understand yeah. that they're essentially eternally youthful, but I better be able to tell that Reese and Tam have been around a little longer than Pharaoh. Like 500 years. Right. So I understand that uh, you don't really need a 40-year-old actor to pull that off, but um, he probably can't be 22. No, he'd have to be in his 30s. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Gotta have someone in their 30s. Anyway, moving on before, moving on before we get too Remember, friends, we'll be dropping another episode this week to cover chapters 5 through 7, as promised. Keep your eyes peeled, or better yet, subscribe so you don't miss it. Thanks!